Beast Watch News, watching the rising beast of Revelation. War, the Israeli elections, and Mystery Babylon are this week's topics. I have a lot to say, so let's get started with last weekend's Hezbollah attack on Israel. Anti-tank missiles were fired from Lebanon towards northern Israel on Sunday afternoon in retaliation for Israel's drones crashing in Beirut. Multiple hits were reported, but there were no casualties, and Hezbollah took responsibility for the attack. Lebanon's Hezbollah leader said on Monday that while a flare-up with Israel at the border was over, the episode had launched a new phase in which the Iran-backed group no longer has red lines. This skirmish was sudden, but expected in Israel, and over quickly. I only mention it because it came at a very, let's say, convenient Time. The skirmish with Hezbollah has resulted in something most desired by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Israeli politicians standing in unity behind him. Nothing more convenient could have come for Netanyahu than this assault on Israel by Hezbollah. Netanyahu gained election traction because of it. Politicians on the left and the right stood behind him during the attack and afterward. It makes one wonder if Hezbollah might have been provoked into attacking Israel by Netanyahu, who probably sent drones into Beirut last week. Consider this. What we know about those two Israeli drones in Beirut last week is that Israel has confessed to last week's Iraq attack, but not to the one in Beirut. Was he mum on that one so no one will suspect him of inciting Hezbollah to attack Israel just when he and Likud are slipping in the Israeli polls? Was Netanyahu willing to put his own people in harm's way just to win the election? Here's what the J-Post article says about the MK's standing with Netanyahu during the Hezbollah attack. It says, There is no coalition and opposition when Israel is under attack. Blue and white politician Yoaz Hendel tweeted, We're all united in the shared duty and privilege to defend our home. Union of Right-Wing Parties politician Bezalel Smotrich said that the state of Israel has been attacked and that Israel is standing behind the Prime Minister as a fortified wall against our enemies. Oh my goodness! This attack on Israel by Hezbollah is just too good to be true for Netanyahu. It is a gift, a Natan from Yahweh, Yahu, a Netanyahu that was just plopped in his lap. Play on words, deliberate. You may be aghast at the prospect that Netanyahu would purposefully and deliberately provoke an attack by a member of Iran's King of the North coalition. Well, here is what Daniel had to say about the fourth and last King of the North that attacks Israel in the end of days, Daniel 11:40. And at the time of the end, that's now, 
the king of the south, that's the southern coalition headed by Israel and backed by the U.S., shall butt at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a tempest with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. Being at war is providing a Netanyahu other opportunities that only he gets to take advantage of, according to Haaretz, in this article titled, Netanyahu Keeps Posing with Soldiers for Election Campaign Against the Law. And it has to say, last month, committee chairman Justice Hanan Melser ruled that Netanyahu broke the law by posting a video on his Facebook page that showed him at an Air Force base together with the IDF chief of staff and the Air Force commander. He also ruled that Netanyahu must remove that post and any similar posts, but as of Sunday, only one video, the one specifically mentioned in Mercer's ruling, or Melser's ruling, rather, had been taken down. Netanyahu and his Likud party have posted numerous videos and photographs of the Prime Minister alongside soldiers and senior officers at bases and at the scenes of terror attacks in the lead-up to both his and the April 2019 election. But campaign advertising law forbids making use of the military in a way likely to, to create the impression that it is identified with a particular party or ticket. Well... Netanyahu is happy to break Israeli law to get reelected. No other candidate would dare flaunt the IDF this way. What else might Netanyahu flaunt? A provoked attack against Israel for the purpose of showing Israelis who the best candidate is to protect them? Along with showing that it is he, Netanyahu, who makes Israel strong against its enemies, he has now raised his 20 election pledge, the one that won him that election. And what did he pledge in 2016 that he is now raising in 2019? Well, in March 2016, just days before an unexpectedly close election, Netanyahu declared in a pre-election interview that a Palestinian state would not be established on his watch should he be re-elected. In April 2019, mere days before the election, Netanyahu gave a television interview and, seemingly out of nowhere, supported the idea of extending sovereignty over parts of Judea and Samaria, saying, when asked about the issue, yes, we will move on to the next stage. More on that in a minute. This J-Post article reveals Netanyahu's next stage, Israeli sovereignty over all West Bank settlements. Israel will apply sovereignty to all West Bank settlements, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said on Sunday morning as he celebrated the first day of school with first graders in the Elkanah settlement. There will be no more uprooting of settlements, Netanyahu said. With God's help, we will apply Jewish sovereignty over all communities as part of the land of Israel and the state of Israel. 
Like George Bush, who sat in a classroom in Florida reading to children far away from the destruction about to happen in New York and Washington, D.C., seemingly oblivious to the impending danger, Netanyahu also chose a school where he could make a political speech to first graders, a West Bank school, while Hezbollah attacked Israel in the north. Why in the world would Netanyahu need to address this political election statement to first graders? Just like Bush, Netanyahu contrived the air of business as usual and non-concern about anything happening on the northern border so Israelis would get the message that Israel cannot be affected by an attack from there under Netanyahu's watch. And he proceeded to tell these first graders who are obviously decision makers for their families in the election, sarcasm intended, We are building new homes here, he said. This is a new home that is an old home. This is the old original home of the Jewish people, and we will build more in Elkanah. We will not uproot anyone here. Well, I hate to bust Netanyahu's balloon, but none of the West Bank belonged to the tribes of Judah, Benjamin, Simeon, or Levi in the original land grants. The town of Elkanah first appears in 1 Samuel 1.1, which says, And there was a certain man of Ramathaim, Sophaim, from the hills of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Yorhoah. Yeroham, sorry, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. Elkanah was the husband of Hannah. They had a son, Samuel, the judge and prophet. The modern West Bank town is located in the West Bank in the same area called the Hills of Ephraim. Elkanah was a Levite living in that area, as all Levites did, living among the people all over Israel. But the area belonged to Ephraim. It was Ephraim's tribal territory. It was never Judah's. Deuteronomy 18.1 says, The priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of Yahweh made by fire and his inheritance. So the tribe of Judah, there was not yet a collection of tribes called Jews or house of Judah, had no inheritance in the hills of Ephraim. The Levites had no inheritance in the hills of Ephraim. They were just living among the children of Israel. The word Ephrathite is different than the name Ephraim. An Ephrathite was a resident of Ephraim's area. Scripturally then, today's house of Judah, the Jews have no right to the West Bank unless they want to rule over all 12 tribes and not just their four. Some American politicians are upholding the Jews' claim that all of Israel belongs to them. In this J-Post article titled, Judea and Samaria as much a part of Israel as Golan, top Republican says, 
Judea and Samaria are as much as part of Israel as the Golan Heights, leading Republican Representative Ann Wagner of Missouri told the Jerusalem Post. And when asked by the Post if she thought Judea and Samaria was part of Israel, she responded, yes, I do. I very much do. I know that there is a majority of Palestinians that live there. I believe that it is, just as I believe that the Golan Heights is. Well, you know, it doesn't matter what people believe. It only matters what Yahweh said, which was the land was to be broken into 12 parts by lots and every tribe was to have its inheritance restored every 50 years at the Jubilee. The tribe of Judah is just one tribe. The article further said the other two Republican representatives, Kathy McMorris Rogers of Washington State and Phil Rowe of Tennessee, also said they were evolving when it came to the notion of two states. McMorris Rogers also echoed Wagner in stating clearly that she saw Judea and Samaria as part of Israel. Trump's actions on the Golan and Jerusalem are all things that will allow us to go forward, Wagner said. Go forward with what? Trump's peace deal that is likely to attempt making the house of Judah's wish come true by forcing the Palestinians out of their own land? Not every Jewish leader believes annexation is possible, though. According to Israel National News, the Blue and White Party will not join a government led by Benjamin Netanyahu, according to Yair Lapid last Sunday night, saying that Netanyahu's pledge to annex Jewish towns in Judea and Samaria is impractical and cannot be carried out. Lapid mocked Prime Minister Netanyahu's pledge Sunday morning that he would annex Jewish towns in Judea and Samaria if re-elected. You can't apply Jewish sovereignty just to the towns, said Lapid. What Netanyahu's comments mean is sovereignty over 2.9 million Palestinians and giving them national insurance payments. Lapid added that even a more limited annexation of just the major settlement blocks and towns near the pre-1967 border would have to be part of a final status agreement with the Palestinian Authority and not undertaken unilaterally. I'm going to take this that Lapid is not aware of the Jordan option. Sovereignty, he said, is something that happens on the ground. Other than Transportation Minister Bezalel Smotrich, there is absolutely no one who thinks it is a good idea. Netanyahu is being held captive by his partners because he wants immunity. Hmm. What scares Netanyahu, Lapid says, is the idea of going to prison. So he goes to Elkanah and says something that is totally disconnected from reality. Lapid also said his blue and white party will not join a government led by Benjamin Netanyahu. Netanyahu's threat to annex the West Bank was met with this Palestinian reaction 
from Times of Israel, Nabil Abu Rudineh, Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas's spokesman, and Saeb Arakat, the Secretary General of the Palestinian Liberation Organization's Executive Committee, spoke out against Netanyahu's election pledge. Rudine said this matter is a continuation of the attempts to create an unacceptable status quo that will not lead to peace, security, and stability, he said, according to the official PA News website Wafa. The settlement building policy attempts to achieve cost-free normalization in violation of the Arab Peace Initiative and efforts to erode the two-state solution are rejected and condemned. Arakat asked the international community to intervene. From Haaretz, the Palestinian Authority announced over the weekend that it has decided to cancel the division of the West Bank into areas A, B, and C according to the Oslo Accords. The Palestinian Liberation Organization had signed with Israel in 1993 and 1995. Well, in other words, the Oslo Accords are dead. And now, members of Knesset are circling the wagons around Netanyahu. First, M.K. Naftali Bennett has backed Netanyahu's immunity from prosecution for crimes. Yamina Knesset candidate Naftali Bennett came out in favor of immunity from prosecution for Netanyahu on Saturday night, joining the leaders of the other right-wing parties that would make up a right-wing coalition should Netanyahu win the election. The reason for Bennett's new political position is the need for stability after holding two snap elections. He said he does not want Israel to be a banana republic with elections every six months and that Netanyahu was not accused of rape or murder. Another election candidate, Moshe Fieglin of Zihut, has accepted a deal with Netanyahu to quit the race. Fieglin made the deal because Netanyahu promised him legalization of marijuana in Israel, one of Fieglin's big campaign promises, along with the building of the Jewish temple and to be given a place on Netanyahu's cabinet. Head of the Blue and White Party, M.K. Benny Gantz, expressed his concerns regarding the recent deal that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu made with pro-Third Temple politician Moshe Fieglin, saying he will get us all high and will wake up to a Third Temple. In an interview with Channel 13, the getting us all high remark was made in, re in reference to Fieglin's pro-marijuana legalization platform. Netanyahu made a promise last week that Jewish prayer on Temple Mount will happen before their Messiah arrives. Meanwhile, Ayelet Shaked, the head of the Yamina New Right Party and 14 of the party's candidates for Knesset seats, sent a letter to leading rabbis from the Chabad Hasidic movement declaring their intention to adhere to the ideology of the now-deceased spiritual head of the movement, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, who advocated protecting the sanctity of Israel's borders. I will have more to say about upcoming plans to 
continue with the rise of Mystery Babylon. So stay tuned for a few minutes and let's talk about Israel as the religious state. The Trump administration is jumping into the middle of Israel's struggle to become a religious state. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said on Thursday that the Trump administration is considering allowing U.S. citizens born in Jerusalem to list Jerusalem Israel on their passports. We're constantly evaluating the way we handle what can be listed on passports, he told JNS in a wide-ranging interview. It's something that's actively being looked at. Well, folks, this is the next step in the right direction of getting sovereignty of all Jerusalem to the Jews. They won't use their sovereignty for Yahweh's will, though. They will instead turn Jerusalem into Mystery Babylon and try to make the great city called Sodom and Egypt in Revelation 8 the capital of the earth. Now let's move on to economic factors affecting the rise of Jerusalem as Mystery Babylon. My Beastwatch News report of July 25, 2019 describes economic conditions that need to exist for Jerusalem as Mystery Babylon to rise to power. The Israeli and American economies are on track to fulfill a big economic prophecy in the end of days, I said. Both their economies are booming while the global economy is falling. Why is that? It is because Revelation 18 tells us Israel's economy, the economy of mystery Babylon as described there, will be booming when it is destroyed. We can expect that her daughter's economy will also be booming at the time of her destruction, and I will tell you why in a little bit, I said in that article. Both the United States and Israel will be spared for a time from economic destruction. The U.S., because she is the seat of the daughter of Babylon, whose destruction comes at a time of unprecedented economic power and growth, and Israel, because she will require prosperity to fulfill temple operations. Please go and read the article and or watch the video for the full explanation of these conclusions. This week, though, JewishPress.com agrees with at least part of my assessment in the July 25, 2019 Beastwatch News report. This author, Ariel Natan Pasco, says the Israeli economy is stable even though the rest of the global economy is suffering. And he asks why. Pasco is wise to ask that question and to foresee a coming problem with Israel's economy because Israel is heavily invested in a basket of reserve currencies, dollars, euros, yen, pounds, etc. And he says Israel's economy would not be in danger if the Israel Central Bank would invest their shekels in gold. The shekel, he says, would only appreciate under such crisis conditions. Israel would be an island of tranquility in a raging economic sea. Well, guess what? Revelation 18 speaks of the economy of mystery Babylon, and one of the commodities that will be purchased by Jerusalem is gold. 
Revelation 18:11 says, "And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their cargo any more. The cargo of gold, along with everything else listed there. So look for Jerusalem to begin investing in gold once again." Pasco also says there is a likelihood of a recession in the U.S. between six months to two years from now. Now, I'm going to talk about how the nations are being brought under the rule of Jerusalem. On September 25th, the Sanhedrin, according to Breaking Israel News, will hold a conference for the emerging organization of 70 nations. The conference will culminate in an animal sacrifice made by representatives of the nations on the Mount of Olives in which they will renew the covenant made by Noah upon leaving the ark. A sacrifice anywhere outside of Temple Mount is prohibited. Yahweh said doing that is the same thing as sacrificing to devils, Leviticus 17.7. So, The priests will be in violation of the Torah when they do this. By the way, the red heifer is killed on the Mount of Olives, but she is not called a sacrifice by Yahweh. She is slaughtered, which is different than a sacrifice. A major focus, says this article, will also be the establishment of an international court based on Bible principles. Which Bible to be used was not specified, but we know the New Testament will not be used. The first principle for the sacrifice mentioned in this article is the sacrifice of 70 bulls at the Feast of Tabernacles. The article says, God established the borders of the world based on the 70 children of Israel who went down to Egypt and the 70 nations that came out from Noah. The concept of 70 nations also appears in reference to the 70 oxen offered in the temple throughout Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, which the Talmud in Sukkah 55b teaches are for the merit of the nation. Well, there's just a whole lot of stuff wrong with all of that, what they said right there, but let me just say this. No doubt Yahweh included the nations at the Feast of Tabernacles. The nations were supposed to be served by a righteous and holy nation of priests called Israel and were to be part of the Sukkot celebration represented by the sacrifices. The righteous and holy Israelite nation included 12 tribes, not just the four that are with Judah in modern Israel. Also, Israel never really reached that righteous and holy state that they were supposed to achieve. Now, back to the article. The first day of the conference will end with a joint prayer by all the participants. Rabbi Yehoshua Hollander, the Sanhedrin's foreign minister, has been tasked with composing the unique prayer for the special occasion. Religion is a difficult word. Rabbi Hollander said, an individual does not need a religion to relate to God. Adam did not need religion to speak to God. 
Religion is an activity that a community does together. Nations were established with Noah, and then there became a need for religion. We need to come together as distinct nations and religions. Oh my, did Yahweh ever say all nations could come and bring their religions with them to his land? Or did he say something different? Did he say something like, you will only worship me the way I tell you to worship me? Nowhere in scripture do we read that Yahweh created a religion or that he ever allowed other religions to be mixed in with his people. Yahweh created his own nation, not a religion. His nation is supposed to serve as a light to the other nations to bring all people to Yahweh through biblical Israel, not to be confused with the modern UN created state of Israel. Biblical Israel is related to Yeshua. The modern UN created state of Israel is not. Judaism and Christianity do not understand the model given to us by Yeshua who taught us to keep commandments. Judaism despises Yeshua because he taught our father's commandments, not their Talmud. And Christianity generally teaches the laws of Moses were done away on the cross. However, Yeshua in uh, John 14:15 said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Yeshua is Yahweh in the flesh. So he was talking about those commandments in the front of the book. Contrary to both Judaism and Christianity, why is keeping Yahweh's commandments necessary for his people? Because his commandments set us apart as citizens of Yeshua's biblical Israel, not to be confused with the modern UN created state of Israel. Yahweh's laws set us apart for a greater level of holiness than the other nations because our job as Israelites is to bring the other nations to Yahweh but not like the Jews are doing bringing everyone under their Talmudic religion that Yeshua reviled no we're supposed to bring all the nations to Yeshua he is the door he is the way into Israel now back to the article a nation has the attributes that define it, but it also needs a religion, Rabbi Hollander said, suggesting that the United Nations lacked this attribute. An organization of nations necessarily needs to be religious, 70 nations under God, but not any specific common religion. The insinuation in his comment could be to soothe those who know the Jews want to subjugate all non-Jews under Noahidism, which is just a second tier of Judaism. And the article continues, Another purpose of the conference and the organization of the 70 nations is to begin the return of the lost 10 tribes of Israel. And if I didn't know better, I would be hooting and hallelujahing right now. 
the establishment of the modern state of Israel began the process of the ingathering of the exiles, Rabbi Weiss explained. In the past, people who were descended from Jews would fade away and never return. We are blessed to live in an age when so many of these people are discovering their roots in the Jewish people and are connecting to this, but the next step is to raise awareness so that the lost ten tribes of Israel can return as well as prophesied. You shall declare to them, thus said Hashem, I am going to take B'nai Israel from among the nations they have gone to and gather them from every quarter and bring them to their own land, according to Ezekiel 37.21. Towards this end, Rabbi Eliyahu Birnbaum, who travels the world looking for hidden descendants of Jews, will be the first keynote speaker to address this conference. I have come to understand after many long talks with Jews and reading their religious material that they are blind to the true definition of the lost tribes. And when they find somebody with Hebraic traits, they want to make them Jews. Traits like keeping the Sabbath and the biblically kosher diet. This is because they reject Yeshua who told them who the lost tribes were, not that they didn't know. However, today's modern Jews are so lost to Yahweh's word that I believe he has turned them over to their Judaism delusion and they cannot see who the ten lost tribes are. And here is where a little Bible history can help us to understand that the house of Israel can only return to the kingdom through Yeshua, never through Judaism. Yeshua knew who he was looking for when he said in Matthew 10:6, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And in Matthew 15:24, he answered and said, I am not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, who was the house of Israel? That term was first used for all Israel, all 12 tribes in Exodus 16:31, and it will be used that way again in the millennium. But in the middle, the term underwent some changes. Let's go to Exodus 16:31 and the house of Israel this is the first time it was used when they got the manna. The house of Israel called the name of it manna. Uh, the house of Israel coming out of Egypt was Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Joseph as the half-tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh and Benjamin. The term house of Israel began to change starting in 2 Samuel 6, 5, which says, And David and all the house of Israel were dancing before Yahweh on all instruments of fir, wood, with lyres and with harps and tambourines, sistra and with cymbals. So here we see David now being set apart from the house of Israel because he was anointed to be king. But still, at that time, the house of Israel was Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Joseph, as the half-tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, 
and Benjamin. The definition of the house of Israel changed again in 2 Samuel 12:8, which says, And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. If that was too little, I would have given to you such and such things besides. Now, in this scripture, we see that there is a distinction for the first time between the house of Israel and the house of Judah, although it's not the first time that the house of Judah was mentioned in scripture. That came in 2 Samuel 2.4. In 2 Samuel 16.3, all Israel was referred to again as just the house of Israel during David's battle with Absalom. And the king said, Where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, that's David, Behold, he remains at Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel shall restore me, to me rather, the kingdom of my father. The next time there is a biblical reference to the house of Israel is in 1 Kings 12.21 when Rehoboam wanted to go to war against the newly splintered faction that began to be called exclusively by that name, the house of Israel. And when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he gathered all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin. So the house of Judah then is at that time just the tribe of Judah it's also called the house of Judah because the house is a legacy of David's but he gathered Rehoboam gathered all the house of Judah with now the tribe of Benjamin and we're going to find that the tribe of Benjamin and and Simeon and Levi get kind of absorbed under Judah and then they all become known collectively as Jews. But it says here that Rehoboam assembled 180,000 warriors to fight against the house of Israel to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. At first... All there was of the new house of Judah faction after the split was Judah and Benjamin. The prophets to the house of Israel used the term house of Israel exclusively for the ten northern tribes that Yeshua said were the lost sheep of his from the other fold. John 10.16 says, And I have other sheep who are not of this fold. Yeshua was talking to the Jews. He said, I must also lead those, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one flock, one shepherd, These were the sheep whose ancestors had been divorced, cut out of the kingdom uh, almost 700 years earlier and were exiled and taken into uh, Assyrian captivity. By the time of the Greek invasion of the Persian Empire, the house of Israel descendants were scattered throughout the known world. The apostles found them mixed in with the Gentile Greeks. I have talked many times about the rejection by the house of Judah of the house of Israel. Going all the way back to the beginning of the civil war 2900 years ago in 2 Kings chapter 12. 
all the prophecies regarding who will be gathered in the end of days has to do with these two houses and no one else. No nations, no other people groups, no Gentiles, all Hebrew Israelites from the two houses. For this end times understanding, and so that you will not be confused by what the rabbis are saying with their twisted word definitions, let's read this scripture. Ezekiel 37:15. And the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, And you, son of man, take a stick and write on it for Judah and for his companions, the sons of Israel, and take another stick and write on it for Joseph. Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel, his companions. See, there's a distinction even in the end of days between the house of Judah and the house of Israel. And join them to one another into one stick, and they shall become one in your hand. And when the sons of your people shall speak to you, saying, Will you not declare to us what these mean to you? Say to them, So says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will put them with him with the stick of Judah, and will make them one stick, and they shall be one in my hand. But do not think that this is going to happen by the Jews converting everybody who keeps the Sabbath and the dietary laws to Judaism. Salvation is only of the tribe of Judah. Salvation is from and by and through Yeshua only. And in the end of days when Yeshua does the ingathering, the two groups that come to their inheritance in biblical Israel, the kingdom of Israel, because the modern UN created state of Israel will have been destroyed, will be the reunited and restored houses of Judah and Israel called the house of Jacob and the house of Israel, the whole house of Israel, just as it was the first time Yahweh said it in Exodus 16:31. No nations, no other people groups, no Gentiles, just Hebrew Israelites reunited from the two houses. The rabbis, though, define all of the lost tribes from the house of Israel as Jews. Let's read this statement again. In the past, people who were descended from Jews would fade away and never return. We are blessed to live in an age when so many of these people are discovering their roots in the Jewish people and are reconnecting to this but the next step is to raise awareness so that the lost 10 tribes of Israel can return as well as prophesied 
and then he goes on to define the lost ten tribes as the hidden descendants of the Jews. Today's Pharisaic rabbis have the same agenda as the Pharisees in the New Testament who confronted the Jerusalem council headed by James saying the house of Israel returnees which they called Gentiles needed to be circumcised this was in Acts chapter 15 always circumcision in Judaism means to convert to the religion of Judaism always it never means to take the token sign of the Abrahamic covenant which makes you part of Abraham not Judah if you are in Messiah you are Abraham's seed Galatians 3:29. and if you be Messiah's then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise you will not nor can you ever be Judah's seed nor can you enter the kingdom by trying to become part of Judah only Yeshua gets to tell you to which tribe you belong Judah does not have that authority one of the stated purposes of this conference of the organization of the 70 nations is to renew the covenant that Yahweh made with Noah nowhere in scripture does Yahweh say that he will renew that covenant to that end there will be a sacrifice on the Mount of Olives which I've said is against Yahweh's express commandments for the sacrifices for which people will pay 70 shekels to be transported to what the rabbis are calling a Noahide ceremony folks this is the Sanhedrin's sneaky way of tricking the attendees into swearing to uphold the Noahide laws rather than Yahweh's kingdom laws later these same Noahides will be asked to take the mark of the Jewish Messiah which John in the book of Revelation calls the mark of the beast another deception is this statement the role of the Sanhedrin will be to consult with and advise the court but the Sanhedrin cannot force its opinion upon the court it will have one seat and one vote on the court the Sanhedrin will keep its autonomy separate from the nation's court do not be fooled the Sanhedrin is the ruling court of the temple which the nations will have no say over or no say in the Sanhedrin will have one seat in the court of the nations but there will be no representatives from the nations in the Sanhedrin or Jerusalem's mystery Babylon government never were the nations invited by Yahweh to have any part in any court at any time in Israel the nations were allotted their separate identities by Yahweh and their identities are meant to be always separate from biblical Israel's 
Jerusalem is now redefining how Yahweh set up his kingdom and differentiated his kingdom from the nations starting with what he told Abraham and how he defined biblical Israel all through the Bible to the book of Revelation. The Sanhedrin will lead you away from Yeshua. These are the same kind of men who killed Yeshua and they are those who will advocate taking you into the synagogues all over the earth to be beaten in the synagogues let's go to mark 13:9 he says take heed to yourselves for they will deliver you up to sanhedrins plural sanhedrins courts and in the synagogues you shall be beaten and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony against them Notice that Yeshua didn't say we would be taken to the Sanhedrin at Temple Mount, where the corrupt Sanhedrin court resided during Yeshua's time. Why? He knew in the end of days there would be no way to get all violators of Judaism and Noahidism to Jerusalem. He knew the Sanhedrin would not have civil authority over Israel when it all starts. But there are synagogues all over the world that will serve as Sanhedrin lesser courts. This is where you will be taken. Thus, he says they will deliver you up to Sanhedrins, plural. We will be taken before the heads of the nations who agree to the Sanhedrin's organization of 70 nations for rejecting Jerusalem as Mystery Babylon and its Noahidism religion that it wants to foist on everyone on earth. And when we get before these heads of states, we will say that Jerusalem is Sodom and Egypt. And we will not take the mark of the beast. But first, Jerusalem must rise to global power. So keep watching Beast Watch News every week as I report her progress in the Jerusalem report. That's it for this Beast Watch News update. This is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off. Click over to BeastWatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of days Bible prophecy.